are listening to The Gwinnett Pulse, a podcast from the Gwinnett African American Caucus. This segment contains an interview for a candidate for public office in Gwinnett County. Reproduction in part or in full is prohibited without the express written consent of the Gwinnett African American Caucus, Democratic Party of Georgia. Hello, welcome. And this is the Gwinnett Pulse, a podcast from the Gwinnett African-American Caucus, Democratic Party of Georgia, bringing you engaging political news, conversations, stories, and interviews from across Gwinnett County, the state of Georgia, and America that impact the Black community. I'm Kia Clark Crawford. These episodes mark the first episodes of the Gwinnett Pulse podcast, and they happen to come in the form of a series, which comes at a very important time. We'll call this series Choice. Election 2020. That's right, it's election season. And as we navigate these uncertain times, now more than ever, we are seeing the importance of good governance and strong leadership. So it's important that you are informed on the candidates running for office in Gwinnett. And we at GAAC, we can help with that. We are bringing you interviews from Democratic candidates running for Gwinnett offices during the June 9th election. We remotely interview candidates to get their stances on issues that are important to you, the Gwinnett community, as well as issues that are important particularly to Black Gwinnettians. Our goal at GAAC is to unite, connect, and empower. And in order to be empowered, you must be informed. So let's dive in. Kirk Thompson is a Democratic candidate for County Commission Chair in Gwinnett County. The following is an interview of Mr. Thompson by Maxine Wheatley, Chair of the Gwinnett African American Caucus of the Democratic Party of Georgia. Hello, Mr. Thompson, and thanks for joining me today. Thank you for having me. There are several other Democratic candidates running for commission chair in Gwinnett County. What is it about you and your background that sets you apart from those candidates? In other words, why are you more qualified? Well, I have more experience than anyone else running in terms of actual government experience. Um, I've served on an appropriations committee, uh, on the Senate Appropriations Committee, for instance, for 12 years. I was in the legislature for 16 So I've actually worked on government budgets um, and I've dealt with issues around and I'm the only candidate who has actually dealt with putting together and voting on government budgets. Um, That would be the biggest thing that probably sets me apart is my experience. I'm also from Gwinnett County. I was born here, raised, uh, raised in, well, I was born in Decatur actually and raised in South Gwinnett, um, which I don't think anyone else comes from that part of the county, if that matters. But I was born here, raised in South Gwinnett, started at Camp Creek Elementary and graduated from Shiloh High School. Um, I've lived here all my life. Um, So I think that that probably also sets me apart from most of the candidates as well. Um, So I think I have. I also served as the head of a CID, um, which no one else has done. So I've been the, the actual head of a government agency in Gwinnett County. I've been a legislator in Gwinnett County. I'm from Gwinnett County. Those would be the things that would probably most set me apart. Thank you. I'd like to turn now to a few questions that may be of particular interest to African-American residents here in Gwinnett. First, in recent years in communities all over the country, there have been incidents where unarmed Blacks have been injured or killed by law enforcement officers. 
The ones that immediately come to my mind are the incidents in Ferguson, Missouri, and Baltimore. Last year, right here in Gwinnett County, two law enforcement officers were fired after assaulting an unarmed Black motorist following a traffic stop. If elected as commission chair, what policies or recommendations, if any, would you propose to help prevent other similar incidents like those from occurring here in Gwinnett? You know, I think the biggest issue is probably training um, and at some level staffing, but training, uh, we need a concerted effort at what's called de-escalation training um, and community policing. I think with community policing, you also have to change how we staff. Our, our county police force is a bit top heavy in the sense that we have the largest police force um, in the state outside of the city of Atlanta, um, but we have fewer street level cops. And when you have fewer street level cops um, than say the city of Atlanta, in other words, we have more people in headquarters and other places. So, so by having more street level cops and more foot patrols, it's easier for them to get to know their area, know folks and do actual community policing. But then, you know, it's training, training, training. And I also think that we need to make sure that we have a police force that looks like our county. Uh, which we have the most diverse county in the Southeast. Uh, we do not have the most diverse police force in the Southeast. And, and that sort of is a good lead into another question that I have. Um, speaking about the diversity in our county, what, if anything, would you do to ensure that there's diversity and equal opportunity at all levels of county employment, sure. including at the professional supervisory and management levels? Yeah, I mean, if you look at the Gwinnett County staffing, and, I, and I've been here my whole life, you know, if you if you go and look at the entry level employees, it has a tendency. It it starts. It looks for the most part like Gwinnett County. And the moment you ask for a supervisor, it's 1983. If you understand what I'm saying, and I think that from the top down, you have to start hiring department heads um, and assistant department heads that look like the county. And then you can't micromanage every hiring decision. Okay. Um, but but the county chair, especially working with the, whoever the county administrator is to ensure that those department heads and those assistant department heads um, and the agency heads, if you've got if you're dealing with an agency, um, look like the county you know, that that does have a tendency to filter down for lack, for lack of a better way to do it. And then we have to give really affirmative instructions to our human resource department that that is a priority, um, that making sure that that there's both equity in how we hire, equity in how we promote, equity in how we um, dole out salaries. But, and that, that, that's not just around minorities, that's also gender issues. You know, um, I, I, you know, I mean, there, it ought not be that we have barely any female firefighters, for instance, forget minority issues as well. You know, um, and so I, I think that we need to make, but those changes come from leadership at the top. You have to make that a priority. And I will make that a priority. It's been something I've stated, it's on my website. It's something I've stated from day one of my campaign has been a priority is embracing the diversity of Gwinnett County. And that's the only way to do it is to make it your job top priority. Going back to a law enforcement question. Sure. In, in many cities and counties in the country, I don't have an exact count, but there are civilian review boards for law enforcement agencies. What are your thoughts in general about such boards? And do you believe that there's a place for such a civilian review board here in Gwinnett County? I do believe there's a place for a civilian review board in Gwinnett County and would want one. I would want it to have more teeth uh, 
than the one in the city of Atlanta. I'm just going to give you an example because you can have a civilian review board and then you can actually have a civilian review board that can do something. Um, the civilian review board in the city of Atlanta doesn't have subpoena power, for instance. So they can't require someone to go in and testify. Um, and they can't require. And I think that the that whatever our civilian review board is that we create for police um, and sheriff's department incidents, not just the police, but law enforcement broadly um, incidents um, needs to have some teeth in it. They need to be able to rate make they need to have subpoena power. They need to be able to make recommendations. And then the, the county commission should be required to act on. them. They can vote them down, but they should be required to act on them. So I would definitely want to look at some of the models around the country, um, San Francisco, New York, Washington, D.C., where there are stronger civilian review boards. I would not look at the city of Atlanta's civilian review. Having represented police officers in that process myself as a lawyer, I would not use that as a model. Thank you. Now let's turn to some other important topics. First, the 287G program. For our listeners who may not know what that program is all about, the U.S. Immigration and Customs Enforcement Agency authorizes local law enforcement departments to detain undocumented residents who are arrested for different crimes and then turn those individuals over to the custody of ICE. Now, as you know, Gwinnett has participated in this program, is still participating in this program. Mr. Thompson, what is your position on 287G? And would you, if elected, support the county's continued participation in it? So, so I've always said from the very beginning, even when I was in the state Senate, uh, that I was against the 287G program. And I would want that repealed or, or canceled. Um, now, the reality is, is that's going to come under the purview of the sheriff. And, you know, it's and the easiest way to do that, you know, everyone wants to think they're the most important person, you know, in the race, but the easiest way to do that is to elect a sheriff that wants to end that program. And I think that's an absolute priority. That said, um, I do think that the County commission, you know, through the power of the purse, we pass the budget and budgets are passed all the time with restrictions. Anytime, anytime grants are given out, there are restrictions on those grants. If we don't elect a sheriff that is willing to end the program, I think that we can at least at a County commission level restrict um, funding and so you can't use county funds for it. Now that won't necessarily stop it if they're able to go get, right now they get a grant from the federal government, but they have to have matching funds. They'd have to get matching funds from somewhere else. They could possibly, you know, a, a determined individual might be able to find money, but, but it would cost them. They wouldn't be able to use county taxpayer dollars. They could use drug forfeiture money, maybe, you know, in other words, I can't stop everything, but I would at a, you know, hope one, end the program by electing a different sheriff. You know, that's that's a different election, but that is that is a litmus test for me in terms of my vote, and I hope it is for others. And then priority two is if we don't get that, then to use the power of the purse string to at least make sure they're not using Gwinnett citizens' taxpayer dollars to, for such a program. Great, thank you. Now let's turn to another issue. It's an issue that we're facing here in the state, the nation and the world, um, COVID-19. And just by way of background, the caucus has issued a public statement opposing Governor Kemp's decision to reopen non-essential businesses here in the state. And you can find that statement at our website uh, for you and our listeners, GwinnettAAC.com. Now, moving on to some questions about COVID-19. Mm -hmm. According to a recent 
Atlanta Journal-Constitution article, two metro area transit employees have died recently due to COVID-19. And in the same article, it was reported that the Gwinnett County Transit Workers Union announced that its workers plan to walk off the job over fears about their safety with respect to the virus. Uh, the drivers um, are reported to have requested additional protective measures such as requiring passengers to wear masks, um, clear shields, among other things. Sure. Now, if, if you were a commission chair, what actions, if any, would you take, could you take, and if you couldn't take any actions, which actions would you recommend regarding this issue, specifically um, regarding the safety concerns raised by the Gwinnett Transit workers? I had already put out prior to this a, a statement in support and had posted on social media and everything in support of the the uh, Transit Workers Union, the Amalgamated Transit Workers Union's request for these uh, protective measures and, and feel that we have to make that a priority. Um, and that includes everything from, as you said, the masks, hazard pay. Uh, what they're doing in New York is making folks enter from the rear of the buses, which if you're going to still collect fares means moving the fare collection machines to the rear of the buses possibly going to a, a no cash system where they have to get the debit, where they have to get the cards. I think that, that all of these things have to be done. We ultimately have the contract for that service, for those services. I think that part of any state of emergency declaration is that you can go back into that contract and make those things mandatory. There are, I've ne I'm a lawyer. I've been a lawyer 29 years. There's not a law. There's not a employment contract I've seen that doesn't have, which is, or a contract for services that I've seen that doesn't have escape clauses for situations like this. And I think that we should require that. And if that means we have to pony up extra money, I understand that the company that runs the bus service may say, hey, that, you know, moving the fare collection machines from the front of the bus to the back of the bus, putting up plexiglass, those things that cost money. We may have to, you know, the, the lives of those bus drivers are worth that extra money. It's not actually, it costs no more than what Kroger's spending in, uh, to protect their employees. And I think we should do that. And th that's really another lead into another question that I had. You were talking about um, the the powers that the commission has and the and the commission chair has uh, when it comes to uh, emergency situations like we're in now. The current commission chair uh, declared a local emergency and issued a declaration in March that authorized her to take a number of different actions. Among those actions, she could take would be making temporary housing available for emergency shelters, um, utilizing county resources from all agencies over which the county has budgetary control to help address any of the issues that have been, uh, that we're facing because of the virus. Um, if you were elected commission chair, what actions, and assuming this, this virus continues for some time in the future, I think that's what what actions might you imagine that you could or would take via an emergency declaration to help ensure the health and safety of county residents and employees? Well, I think one of the things you have to do, again, you were talking about the transit workers. I think we have to make absolutely clear that all of the Gwinnett County employees, um, that they're safe. I mean, that's our first job is the folks we actually hire and subcontract with. I think we have to go through every single contract that we have and every single subcontract and make sure that those people who work for the county but don't work directly for the county 
are also protected. Um, and anyone that doesn't want to do that shouldn't have a contract with the county. I think we can partner with the school board uh, to make sure that, you know, that's the largest employer in the county is the school system to make sure that their needs are being met. And then, then we probably need basically a comprehensive needs assessment. In other words, we need to figure out what folks here need. I don't see anyone doing that, but we, um, we're aware, you know, of some of the problems. We are aware that we have the third highest infection rate in the state, you know, and it's just, but a needs assessment and then come up with a plan to implement something based on that needs assessment. Continuing with the question concerning the budget and COVID-19, the Board of Commissioners recently adopted a $1.84 billion budget for fiscal year 2020. And that budget was based on six strategic priorities, one of which was a safe and healthy community. Now, in light of this virus, in light of what might be future needs of the county in terms of health care or hospital beds or PPE, what, what do you think, what could you possibly um, use um, that budget, if, if anything, to address some of the possible future needs of the county because of the virus? Well, again, I guess some of that would be based on the needs assessment. It would obviously, you know, protecting the citizens, protecting the residents is the top function of the government. And so you have to prioritize it accordingly. There may be a revenue shortfall, but we have to, so we will have to reorganize everything accordingly. And I think that folks are going to have to do, make some hard decisions and move forward on that. Um, but one of the things that we should possibly be doing is taking a look at, you know, we're larger than six states and several territories. Um, Maryland went out and bought their own tests. And we may have to, we have, and they bought them from South Korea. We have a huge Korean community here. We ought to use the leverage the fact that we are a, we are the most diverse county to go out into the marketplace, and we may have to get our own test to supplement what's being done at the health department, because really that that massive amount of testing is the only way you're going to get on top of this and be able to either reopen or stay open. And I think that that's one of the things that we probably need to look at is is if the state won't do it, and Lord knows with our governor we may not get that. But that that we need to may we may need to look at getting our own tests just the way Maryland did. Thank you. Some, and some people, cities have particularly done. younger African Americans, may not be inclined to vote at all. What would you say to those people to convince them that they should vote, and specifically that who is elected to the position of commission chair should? Moving away for a minute from the COVID nineteen questions to another area. Some people, particularly younger African-Americans, may not be inclined to vote at all. What would you say to those people to convince them that they should vote, and specifically that who is elected to the position of commission chair should matter to them? You know, it's a shame, and I've, I've seen the, the statistics come up that, that um, the vast majority, almost 80% of the folks requesting absentee ballots are, are Caucasian. Only 20% of people are color. That's a statewide statistic, but I don't have a reason to think Gwinnett is different. Um, to any young person of color, I would say it's an absolute, it matters everything about, you know, everything you hear about from, you know, driving while brown to uh, addressing issues of hiring and getting a job um, to addressing what is your future is dependent on government, whether that's your education or whether that's getting a job later or higher education, or just what happens to you walking down the street. 
And you can't be, quote unquote, you can't say you're woke and understand what all is going on and then not want to do anything about it. I mean, if I'm just being real plain about it, um, you know, woke and not voting is not a thing. And, and so what I would say is that it, it, you just absolutely have to understand that it matters. Everything about what your future is is dependent on who is in charge of your government and whether they're going to be responsive to your needs. It's your future. And if you don't take charge of your future, somebody else will. You know? Mr. Thompson, I'd like to give you a few minutes to share anything else that you feel is important for voters in Gwinnett to know about you and your candidacy for commission chair. Sure. You know, as I stated in the beginning, I'm, I'm from Gwinnett, uh, was raised here, uh, starting at, Mount, at Camp Creek Elementary, finishing at Shiloh High School. I played ball in Mountain Park and, and um, swam in Norris Lake. Uh, you know, I, I am from here and a product of here. I, I went through hard times growing up, as some of us did. Um, my parents got divorced. I dealt with my family's addiction issues, um, lost a family member to the AIDS pandemic. Um, ultimately went to law school and became a legislator to fight for folks here in Gwinnett County. And I spent 16 years in the legislature fighting for you, all of you in Gwinnett County, regardless of whether you were in my district or not, because that's how the legislature works. It's laws affect everybody. And if you honor me with your vote and I'm asking for your vote, you know, the most important thing for you to know is that I will fight for you every day in Lawrenceville on the County commission, just like I fought for you every day in Atlanta. And then, you know, that is the most important thing that I would convey to you. Mr. Thompson, on behalf of the Gwinnett African-American Caucus of the Democratic Party of Georgia, I'd like to thank you for taking part in today's interview. And to our listeners, thank you for tuning in and make sure you vote on June in the June 9th election. Thanks again for joining us, and thank you for listening to The Gwinnett Pulse, a podcast from the Gwinnett African American Caucus. To learn more about the caucus, please visit GwinnettAAC.com.